You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. what we're talking about is Molly's are basically the um, the original gay bars but they're in uh. England and they were called that because Molly was a real slang slur they're like oh, oh you're, you're a some, Molly it's some kind of Molly welcome to your ki- ki- <laughs> what's hey, our I'm, podcast called again <laughs> I don't know but <laughs> it's been a year and a half but I don't know welcome to your it's called Evan it. Chewing Donuts into a Microphone. The word queer will not come out of my mouth. It just won't. You can't be queer anymore. I guess not. Welcome to your Put queers. a cock in it and see if it helps. Okay. Is that offensive? No. Is that offensive? No. Not to me. Sorry if I offended <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> Welcome to your queer story, kids. Today we're talking about the drug Molly and not. the impact that it has had nope. on the queer community. We're not. We're not. And I, when I was writing this, I knew Paul was going to think that I was talking about drugs, which I wouldn't. Not that whatever person does in their personal time. We should cover that business. one day. What? Drugs? Drug abuse in the queer... Or like addiction no. abuse oh, in yeah. general in yeah. the queer yeah. community. We've been talking about that for a year and a half about how we're going to talk I know. But, it's hard. But we should because it is a serious problem in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the queer community. Drug and alcohol abuse... Um, well, I mean, we're th- we're talking today about gay bars, and it's because literally, like, one of the only places that you could go that was safe was a bar. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what are you going to do at a sense. bar? Right? Makes and then sense. you've got to deal with the rejection and disdain of your family and community, so you drink and you abuse drugs. And, and you're like, I'm at this bar, which is the only place I can be, and mm-hmm. I also need to drink because I have horrible life at home, yep. so what else am I going to do at this bar besides drink? Exactly. Just as a vicious circle. Yes, it is. So, so good times. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, what did you do this week? Oh, Lord. What did I do this week? Um, and Halloween yes. is over and we're past and moved on. I went out to a bar, oh. um, which, you know, it's funny because that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> and I usually don't frequent gay bars too much because uh, dating a drag queen, I'm mm-hmm. involved heavily in the nightlife. On a regular basis. Yeah. Or I'm in brunches. Like, I'm always at least three or four times a month, which is a lot when you're 27, at least for me, Mm because I'm also extremely busy. Um, You know, four times a month going out to some sort of celebration or party or whatever. The thought of going to, like, a gay bar, I'm just like, nope, I'm good. (laughs) Done that enough. Like, I'm. that's my whole life, basically. Yeah. Um, But I did, and I had a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it. Um, it was nice just to see everybody dressed up and, you know, yeah. just having fun. Because a lot of times, you know, people will be either clicky or, you know, just kind of chit-chatting. And 
not really involving everybody in the conversation, but on Halloween, everybody just comes together and yeah. it's more of like a celebration than just hanging out, I guess. Yeah. It's nice. I spent my weekend working all weekend and setting my Christmas because, but you know, the stroke of midnight on Halloween, retailers expect for your entire uh, store to have exploded in Christmas. Yep. And it's like November 1st at noon. And they're like, are you done with that Christmas yet? They're like, yeah. They're like, why do you still have Halloween in your store? Like, and um, you're like, um, I don't fucking know because you sent me way too goddamn much you for the 30 or 2,000 boxes of candy. And oddly enough, I didn't sell it all. So I don't know. Especially because each bag costs like $7 <laughs> for some godforsaken reason. Exactly. So, um, which we do okay with our stuff, but still, yeah. So um, it's a real hustle. Like I, every Every year after Halloween, um, I always work that weekend, and I just basically work morning to night every day and get my store set for Christmas. See, you are a lot more dedicated than I ever was, because <laughs> I was like, look, I'm scheduled from 8 to 3, so if it's not done by 8 to 3, well, I guess you're not having a Christmas set. <laughs> That's why I didn't last. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do that, but honestly, it's more so I don't have to, like fret and worry about it like once it's done like i've been setting my christmas for a while no that's true once it's done it's done rather than being you know stressed about it every day trying to get it done so i want to get the last push in there and just like get it done the last little bits here and there Mm -hmm. and then then i'm all set plus i'm taking some time off um which is why we're not having an episode next week just so you know um and so like i don't want to have to worry about that Mm -hmm. and i will say um that once christmas is set the the best part about the only good part about retail is like once Christmas is set, you don't really change much for the exactly. rest of the year. It's yeah. all dealing with customers and cleaning up. Yep. The last two months of the mm-hmm. year, like then, yeah, you're right. It's, it's easy. You just like, honestly, even though it's busy, like you said, you're just taking care of customers. You're not right. worried about the 5,000 other things you have to worry about through the rest of the year. But then the day after Christmas, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> then everything changes. And then it's the same thing. The day, like the moment that, that Christmas ends, like at midnight, they're like, did you get your store back and set? Did you get all the Christmas stuff out of there? Did you put it away? Don't let people ever know we even had Christmas. Do you have all of your Valentine's Day stuff out yet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Valentine's isn't set. It's noon on December 26th. Mm-hmm. I thought we talked about this. Yeah. So, Pure um, insanity. Yes. But um, but I actually set my Valentine's Day stuff early too because I sell all my plush. Like I, oh, I'll sell it for Christmas. Sense. Yeah, that's because a good people idea. don't give a fuck unless it says Valentine's right. on the bear. They they don't care. They'll buy it. So then I my my sales go up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just a little trick for you guys out there in the retail world. But um, yeah. But anyways, all that say that's what I did this weekend. Mm-hmm. So busy, busy, very busy. Um, but today we're it's it's a little bit of a lighter episode. There's there's you some know, sad after parts. After that horrible, gruesome month of Halloween, yeah. we thought we'd take it a little light. Exactly, <laughs> uh, it got a little heavy. The last episode for um, October was pretty light, and it wasn't yeah, as bad. Yeah, the but, Halloween episode. But uh, yeah. But still, it's a real hard turn from the gore of mm-hmm. October to suddenly like the Christmas feelings and Thanksgiving and all that stuff. I will say that I love like I love the month of October, but then once November hits, it goes from like loving the the essence of fall to loving like the Christmas spirit. Oh yeah, you know? exactly. And if you yeah. don't have the Christmas spirit, you need to fig- figure out how to get it because it's like it's what I feel like religious people feel like all the time. <laughs> that's probably, that's a really good analogy. You're yeah. right. Like they're constantly like in this euphoria bubble of everything's, everything's great. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's not great, and they're just ignoring all the shit going right. around. But in but their mind, they're like, "I'm better bubble. than." Well, I don't think I'm better than everybody, <laughs> but they're like, "I'm better than everybody. I'm going to heaven. Like, life is good." Exactly. And like, just I don't know the Christmas spirit. I just love the perceived happiness of everything. Exactly. At least for like this month or these two months, we can just focus on family and the end of the mm-hmm. year, and we all survived, and you know, for the most part. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually a really good analogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we, we're all forgetting. We're not thinking about what's happening next year and how we're about right. to hit the, or the 2020 struggles that other elections. people are or facing no. and things like that. But yeah, it's, I mean, I'm so involved heavily with everything as you are, like mm-hmm. throughout the whole year. It's the one, that you, the one part of the year where I kind of step back from the horrible news and everything and I kind of give myself a break Yeah, from the negativity because yeah. it is a struggle. <laughs> it is. It is. Especially with where we're at right now. Yep. But, you know. But, you know, so, I mean, we have some fantastic people we want to cover for you in the very near future. And literally, we have a whiteboard here that is full of ideas and suggestions that we want to do. And there's little sticky notes around. Yeah, there's Well, those are for my other project, which I, have, I haven't I have updated that a little bit. But that's for my, my um, book and uh-huh. my IFB research. But, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of good stuff. Um, but we needed to take a break from some of our harder-hitting episode. And so today we're going to cover the Molly Bars of England during the 18th and 19th centuries. I know, it's a, it's a random spin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this episode happened by chance as Evan was doing research for another topic and stumbled upon an article. So we want to credit the blog and website atlasobscura.com and the writer Natasha Frost for this information. Now let's talk about the original gay bar, also known as Molly Houses. And I, I titled this episode, A Molly Good Time, which is why Paul thought it was about I drugs. mean, I'm sure anybody who clicked on this episode <laughs> was like, wow, we're going to learn about Molly and the impact on the queer community today. Psych. Unless no. you're Evan. The only person who would not think that's what it meant. I, I knew it might mean that, but also it, it'll attract people. Oh, it's going to attract a lot of people, I'm sure. <laughs> the term Molly was an old English slur used to reference the sodomites of early London. It, Why am I yelling at you? I don't know. Wake I mean, it's better now. than like the ass that I usually get. I'm not even tired. That's the thing. I'm your like mouth just wired. has to open. That's your problem. You just have to... It has to do something, whether you're burping it or does. you're or whatever. Drink, that's why I always have a drink in my hand. Like, I have to be doing something with my mouth. <laughs> These muscles don't stay toned by it's themselves. <laughs> we know how they stay toned, motherfucker. <laughs> it is most comparable to the modern-day use of the term Mary, though with harsher implications given the extreme homophobia of past time periods. We don't know the specific origins of the word, as it was also used as a slur against working-class women in the 17th and 18th centuries. But in 1709, journalist Ned Ward published a series on the Molly's Club, a gang of sodomitical wretches. Sodomitical? Sodomitical, I think. Yeah. Who visited the pub he often frequented. Hmm. I think you are going to a gay bar, buddy. <laughs> He's like, I keep coming to this club, and I sit here, and there's all these gay men coming into my straight club. Everybody in here is gay, but this is my straight club. <laughs> I went in the bathroom, and some guy asked me to suck his dick, and I did it, and I couldn't believe he had the it audacity. happened. Throughout the piece, the writer speaks with disgust towards the gossiping horde of effeminate men. Uh, Ward's writing... Ward's writing signaled the shift in English acceptance of homosexuality. Prior to the 1700s, sodomy was treated as any other form of deviancy, while it was considered a sin or abnormality, 
queer people still enjoyed the same blind eye treatment that adulterers and prostitutes enjoyed. And this is like the 1700s. People were just killing people. There was no law against killing people. <laughs> no. They would just literally kill them. And they're like, well, he was a sodomite. And they're like, all right, yeah. good. You cleaned up the streets. Yeah, literally. Yeah, there was very lawless in the 1700s. <laughs> um, but but there was also, but this is like, so like I said, like this is like this shift where we go for a long time where like the older men and the boys are together. Mm-hmm. And then that continues on into like early Saxon and English culture. And then, um, and now the church is really being like, no, but seriously, you guys, you have to stop. So so articles are coming out and the church leaders are writing things. And then the journalists, like a board wrote for the London Journal, start picking up these pieces and being like, no, seriously, everybody, the sodomites, that's mm-hmm. a real problem. And then, uh, yeah. So even with the Buggery Act of 1533, which made sodomy a crime punishable by death and which we expounded upon in our Puritans episode. Imagine only living to like 30 years old on average and being like, well, we just got to kill those people because they're they're having sodomy. Exactly. Guys, we don't have a lot of time here. (laughs) Who can we kill and how quickly can we do it? So now, but even though this had passed in 1533, only a few rare cases were charged over the following 150 years because nobody really cared. Right. It was just the church being like, and you can't do this either. And folks are like, okay, well, we, we can't stop all the so-called sins. So, But church authors put their pen to hateful use and wrote eloquently of the sins of sodomy. One writer dramatically stated, Language is incapable of sufficiently expressing the horror of it. While another ho- homophobe tried his hand at poetry. Tis a strange country. No, wow. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to mess this up. Tis strange that in a country where our ladies are so kind and fair, so gay and lovely to the sight, so full of beauty and delight, that men should on each other dote and quit the charming petticoat. I actually really like that poem. (laughs) (laughs) Flowed very smoothly. It was very gay. Um, I'm like, yeah. I don't know that the guy writing this was straight, to be honest. Well, they also wrote like that back then. They did. Oh, but it does sound like he's tried very hard. So kind and fair, mm-hmm. so gay and lovely to the sight. But this does go into the um, how uh, authors use this to kind of stir up and be like, no, ladies, men choosing men, that's them discriminating against you. Like they don't give women the right to own their own land right. or to be with their children or have any kind of property, but they're like trying to like give a feminist approach of if you're a, a proud woman, you would be angry at the sodomites. And it works because a hundred years later we see that mm-hmm. it works. Anyways. I've, I've just never understood like, I don't give a fuck what anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Why are you so worried about with what we do? Oh my God. All right. I have to pause. <laughs> Because I had this argument with someone uh, a couple weeks ago. So if you there was a thing, there was a couple things in the news all at once. Number one, um, always decided to remove the feminine yep. label off their products, which was a very small label on the inside of their packaging that most people had no idea was even there mm-hmm. until always is like we're going to remove this symbol and suddenly women were like are you fucking kidding me that symbol is the <laughs> only reason i bought that product exactly right uh, that makes me a woman what symbol where was it um so so that some women not all women obviously um some feminists so that and at the same time a ruling was passed down by a judge where a mother and father were fighting for custody of their transgender child and the father was very anti-trans and wanted to get his child um, 
you know, basically put his child in conversion therapy. Yeah. And the mother was like, no, that's harmful. We're going to accept our daughter for who she is. And the judge gave full custody to the mom. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, all these anti-trans articles are going around about kids. Yeah. But people are posting this, like, which I didn't even know I still had friends like this. It, it always is surprising me when something like this happens. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look, I don't care what people do, but this is just ridiculous. Or this is just disgusting. I can't believe they do this. And I'm like, if you don't care what people do, why are you posting a whole page about how frustrated and disgusted you are by what these people do? Look, I have so much stuff going on in my life that I don't give a fuck what anybody else does. As long as they're not like harming someone, like do whatever the fuck you want. I don't give a fuck. I could pay. I could give two fucks because I have my own shit going on. These people are people that have nothing to do with their lives. They're miserable and they want to take out their anger on other people. Yeah, exactly. Because they're bored. Literally. Clearly you have nothing to do with your life if you're taking the time to do things like this. Every conservative argument starts with, I don't care what people do, but but we got to pass this law to make sure that they can't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) It's such shit. It's such shit. But then, you know, tell them that they have to give their kids a real education or that they can't put their kids in abusive environments. And all of a sudden they're like, how dare you come in here and tell me what to do with my life? Exactly. I don't care what people do. Right. You can't discriminate against people. How dare you tell me what I can't do? (laughs) Yes. By the late 1600s, a group of individuals had started the Reformation of Manners, which was a movement devoted to ending sin in England. Efforts included everything from stopping sex work and secular holidays to outlawing drinking and rounding up homosexuals. And as a result of a need for safe gay spaces, molly houses sprang up across the country. The atmosphere ranged from house to house, but overall had a very feminine appeal, which was a relief, which was a relief considering the outward hatred beginning to be expressed towards effeminate men. In the Molly houses, gay men could find a space, could find a place of refuge as well as full range to express themselves in all their glory. This is a feeling many queer people have felt the first time they've entered a gay bar, which I still remember to this day, mm-hmm. my first time stepping through those doors. I was like, whoa. Which one was that? That was Dicks Are You Crazy. Yeah, but like a real. Dark Lady, yeah. I mean, like, Dicks Are You Crazy, yeah. That was, that's a gay bar, but it was just like a very, it was like a towny bar environment. But when I remember going to the Dark Lady for the first time where it was like a club, I was like, Mm -hmm. whoa. Yeah. What have I been missing? I remember we had one. It wasn't, Dark Lady was a, that was a big one for me too. But right before I went to the Dark Lady, we went to one in Worcester. And it was, um, it was just a, it was a regular gay bar, kind of divey, but it was still, I don't know, the atmosphere it was on the East Coast, mm-hmm. so it was good. Like I, my first gay bar, like I've talked about, was in Indiana. Yeah. And then, and I remember that euphoric feeling, but then it closed down that night. But <laughs> <laughs> for a moment, I had that euphoric feeling of yes. Because <laughs> I, I had that, the that's like straight out of a comedy. I had the worst fucking luck in that's the That's literally world. straight out of a comedy. But yeah, but no, yeah, there's that that feeling when you step into the place of other people like you, mm-hmm. and you're just like, you like, you feel like you can breathe for the first time in your life. And yes, you didn't absolutely. even realize you couldn't breathe. And you're like, this is what truly feeling like yourself feels like. Yeah, exactly. Living without shame. This mm-hmm. is what it feels like. Um, among. among the dim lights, loud noises, hard liquor, and swarming bodies, one's inhibitions are more easy, easily let go. And then, of course, there was the entertainment. So 300 years later, the looks may have changed, but the cornerstone of gay amusement has not. Drag was all the rage in the Molly houses. Of course, that name had not been coined yet, but the concept of the art still thrived. 
The queens dressed in full petticoats, makeup, and wigs, and called one another sister, madame, or ladyship. I bet the drag back then was pretty, like, pretty fucking cool. The what? Then they have, like, the big wig. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure it was, like... Oh, yeah. It, it was, like, full. actual queens, probably. Well, as one court report described the scene, some were completely rigged in... <clears throat> somewhere. Wait, wait, what's my That's English accent? Australian. You're... Fucking... Shut up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're about to go, don't you know? (laughs) Evan's broken. Hello. Hello. Bloody hell. (laughs) Somewhere completely rigged in gowns, petticoats, headcloths, fine lace shoes, beef for (laughs) belowed scarves, and masks. Some had riding hoods. Some were dressed in milkmaids. While others, I've literally changed accents three times while reading this. Others, like sheep headdresses with green hats, waistcoats, and petticoats, and others had their faces patched and painted and were very expensive hoop petticoats, which had been very lately introduced. That was a beautiful description that got interrupted 17 times. <laughs> uh, I don't know what beferbelowed scarves are, but this was this is mm. from the court report, report but uh, as you can see, very eloquent um, dresses. The queens also had their own drag names, though they were quite different from what we hear today and not as eloquent as the outfits. Some of the names included Garter Mary, Hardware Nad, Nan, Thumb, Nan Hardware Ward Nan, Thumbs and Waist Jenny, <laughs> Old Fish Hannah, and Flying Horse Mall, along with a long assortment of others. The most common adaptations included the names Molly or Mary as a wink to the slurs of the time. I actually really like those drag names. If <laughs> I ever do, Jenny. Yeah, if I ever do drag, I'm coming back to this. Oh, and my God. Hardwood Nan. Paul. What? I just had an idea for a breakout show. What? It's office style, but it's set in 1790s Molly's house. And these are the drag queen's names. And like they sit down and they'll be like, yeah, so anyways, waist, uh, thumbs and waist Jenny. She's <laughs> fighting with old fish Hannah. And I told them, you got to do that in here. I don't think so. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's just us playing all the characters. <laughs> we could do that. We could totally pull that off. <laughs> I listen. I've if anybody out there is like works in Hollywood or something, Evan and I have many great ideas. <laughs> if you are looking for like the next Family Guy or the next South Park, come to us because we will write you a fucking comedy. Let That's definitely you. what Hollywood. And I may be the only person. Do. I may be the only person laughing at it. But guess what? It's still going to be goddamn good. Mm, yes. Every Hollywood producer is like, oh, it's an obscure podcast that's telling us to come find them <laughs> and pay them know. money. You never know. Somebody's second cousin, thir- <laughs> thrice removed on their mom's side, could be listening to this podcast. That's true. That's true. And they'd be like, hey, we've only ever met once at that weird family reunion, but I listen to these two great podcast hosts and they're hilarious <laughs> and they have really good ideas for a show. You should definitely reach out to them. You never know. Yeah, people are like, uh, what's his name? Tweet Karen Calgariff and Georgia Hartstart from the My Favorite Murder podcast. I also love them. Um, <laughs> who's that Who's that guy? Who's the famous director? Oh, I, I don't know why I'm asking you. Yeah, I have no idea. Oh, Steven God. Spielberg? Well, yeah, I was going to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> My father-in-law is doing some work on the house today, <laughs> so we hope you enjoy the back the back room ambiance. Um, what is it? No, is it Steven Spielberg? No, who did Titanic? I have no idea. I'm not, I don't even I know. Can't, the I can't go Titanic. on with this episode if I don't know who did the Titanic. Let's see. Um, director. 
of Titanic. People are literally screaming. James Cameron. Never that heard guy. of him in my life. Oh, go fuck yourself. I swear to God. He did Titanic. He did um, uh, Avatar. Like, he's done huge things. And you know nothing. I don't. Whatever. I can give um, two fucks. Is so the it, movie good or not? That's all I care well, about. Well, you know what? If James Cameron's great niece is listening to this right now, she's not going to tell her uncle about us. So, because you Your just, uncle is great. He's fantastic. Love his work. <laughs> Have you even seen Titanic? Of course. Oh, I'm surprised. Don't act like I should know that. Listen, I remember being pissed that she had this whole ass door that she yes. was floating on. We know, we know She's the like, door. no, there's absolutely. I'm spreading my arms out, taking up a lot of space. <laughs> no, there's absolutely no room on this, no, this massive door no. with my small, tiny, underweight body. There's no <laughs> way you can fit on here with my Jack. You just have to go to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Sorry, she's prying his fingers off. Bye, Jack. Oh, this is awful. <laughs> wow, what a shitty situation. <laughs> oh, poor Rose. Okay. <laughs> This, this I don't know is, where um, we're This is your turn And of course And of course There were shows But much again But again Much different Than what we see today So much so That some historians Have compared them To rituals More than entertainment The most common show Was the fake birth Where several of the queens Would dress as nurses And midwives And surround the main attraction As she wore a woman's nightgown And pretended to give birth <laughs> After several minutes of simulating the pains and trials of child labor, the new mother would produce a wooden baby, which prompted swoons from the other queens and cheers from the audience. This was immediately followed by a baptism and then a meal for everyone, during which the show continued as the queen went about mingling with the crowd who fawned and cooed over the baby. <laughs> I mean, is that offensive? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is it entertaining? <laughs> Probably. I mean, it's the 1700s, early 1700s. So um, they didn't have like recorded music, and they weren't going to have a full band there to like play music. And, yeah, no. Like, so you got to entertain people how you can. I mean, they really went all out though. They had the baptism, then they literally served a whole meal. Mm -hmm. And and sounds a lot more convenient than today's drag shows. <laughs> I mean, I, you're getting fed and everything. Exactly right. It, yeah, and and the thing is like that's why some historians are really like, was this kind of like a traditional like a coming out? party in a sense but we don't have records from that we only have the the court records which basically mock and and talk mm -hmm. about these things with the disgust and so we're putting together from that we don't have records from queer people being like this is why we did this but we do know that that show happened many times mm -hmm. so by the early part of the 1700s molly houses were all over england despite the ramp up in punishment and prosecution from parks and moors fields to the businesses connected to the prestigious covent garden Covent Gardens in Lincoln's Inn, <clears throat> and because of the limits and danger, the Molly houses were a mix of social classes. Gay men had few outlets, so in a society so rigidly divided by class, it is little wonder that the barriers would be broken in these spaces, which is a huge deal when you consider 1700s England. Mm -hmm. Remem <clears throat> Reminder of the men's imminent danger were often right outside their windows as authorities erected pillories in areas heavy with so sodomitical crime. Pillories, also known as stocks, are the public platforms which use a wooden or metal frame to lock an individual's hands and head in place. The so-called criminal is then left in the device for several days, forced to endure the cruelties of both the weather and the public. It is certain that many men on their way to the Molly houses had to walk past their friends who had been caught and punished. Which, that's such a hor Imagine being locked outside for days. Right? And people were awful to people in the socks like they, obviously they would throw They're things the at them they would whip them they mm -hmm. would beat them you know whatever they wanted you know obviously if a woman was locked up 
that was not good. Mm, yeah, I'm so, sure a lot happened yeah. to that poor, those poor women. Yeah. But again, despite the dangers, gay men had no other options and were willing to risk their lives, their very lives, for a few moments of release. One of the most famous Molly houses was a coffee shop run by Margaret Clapp, also known as Mother Clapp, which doesn't translate well in today's time. <laughs> Didn't carry well over it's the my years. my new drag name, Mother Clapp. <laughs> we do not know much about Mother Clapp. Whether she identified as queer herself or was merely an ally to the gay community. Either way, she opened her doors in full force in 1724, and immediately her place became known as a safe haven. And immediately, her place became known as a safe haven. Margaret made sure there were beds in every room on her premise so that men could engage in as much sex as they wanted, which was important as the bathhouses and the molly bars were often their only options. This is not to reduce. This is not the wait. Oh, this is not to reduce. Yeah, you were right. This is not to reduce gay love to nothing more than sex, but sex is just as important to most queer people as it is to the rest of the world. Surprisingly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, it's like hard because like people be like it's more than just sex, and they're that's true. But like, uh, we want most of us want to have sex. Mm -hmm. Not everybody. You know, we just. Um, but most of us want to have sex, mm -hmm. and that's an expression of love. And you can't just do it anywhere else. This right. Is, you know, especially when it's illegal, and you will literally be put out in the, the weather and and beaten and then and imprisoned yeah. and you can even be hanged mm -hmm. or uh you know publicly executed um and you know and your other only other option is a park where you're doing a quickie upside a tree right. where you have a whole bed where you can spend the night with your lover mm -hmm. in mother Clapp's house an individual could freely express their their love but it was not a brothel like many of the molly houses which were created purely for profit Margaret made her space a home and housed anywhere from 30 to 40 men at a time. And some people think it actually was her house. And then she turned it into mm -hmm. the Molly house. Well, houses were fucking massive back then. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Everybody had like 80 rooms for no goddamn reason. <laughs> what? This house only has 70 rooms. How do, how do you expect you me to You only have 12 bathrooms. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And not bathrooms. 12 pots to piss in. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she even set up a chapel so that couples could be married. Some ceremonies were fleeting and silly, while others allowed two lovers to have a moment they never thought possible. Yes, when, face, when they faced the outside world, their union would not be recognized. But here in the walls of Mother Clap's house, surrounded by their friends and loved ones, each man could make a vow of commitment and love to their true partner. But all good things come to an end. In 1726, just two years after Margaret Clapp opened her doors, the, author the authorities were on her tail. A young ma man named Mark Patrick. Patter, patridged. <laughs> patridged. I have no idea. P-A-T-R-I-D-G-E-D. -E was outed by his ex-lover and turned into the police. Fuck He's like, you. Mark, I can't say your fucking last name. We got fucking married in that place, and I had to take your goddamn last, last name. name. <laughs> and now my name is Wilberforce Patridged, and no one can say it. <laughs> in exchange for a lighter sentence and better treatment... He agreed to sneak authorities into Mother Clapp's house. He would bring the officers one by one on various nights and introduce them as his husband. This was a code word used when a standing member wanted to bring a new gay man into the fold. Not a great cold mood word, but... Yeah, this is my husband. It's so it's undercover. Nobody would ever suspect that this is gay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's down the front of my pants, mm -hmm. but this is totally cool. Mm -hmm. Officers spent several nights gathering information and compiling a list of crimes. Then on a cold February, night they raided the favorite molly house and arrested over 40 men as well as the owner the trial became a sensation as the salacious news of mother clap's house dripped across the pages of the london journal 
The men were put on trial one by one as their lives and love were cheapened by backhanded remarks and vicious slurs. And and I didn't put a lot of them in here, but when you read the comments, it really just like just mocking these men Mm -hmm. and, you know. Oh, I'm sure it was horrible. Of course. And of course, incredibly misogynistic and Mm -hmm. sexist because the entire thing that outraged people wasn't just that these men wanted to have sex. It was that they wanted to be like women and how could you, how demeaning. Mm -hmm. But most painful of all was the ways they were portrayed as deviants for the most innocent of crimes. One passionate officer and a member of the Society for the Reformation of Manners. We should <laughs> turn this into a religion and our like Bible can be called the Reformation of Manners. <laughs> and we can have our own Reformation of Manners. Okay. <laughs> it was a man named Samuel Stevens who was horrified at what he had found and later testified and discussed to the courts. There I found a company of men fiddling and dancing and singing baudry songs, kissing and using their hands in a very <laughs> unseemly manner. <laughs> sir, sir, you're using your hands in a very unseemly manner. Sir, you I told you to, to stop, yourself, stop doing that to my cock, and I mean it. <laughs> Most of the men were imprisoned. Three of them were hanged. Margaret faced her face with fate with dignity and lied several times to help a few men escape punishment. She herself was fine condemned to the pillories, and sentenced to two years in prison. She struggled in the public stocks, often fainting, before finally being hauled away to prison, where she faded from history. Um, for about 20 years after the Mother Clap raid, all was silent on the front. Molly House's shutdown and queer culture went even further underground. Around 1750, a resurgence of the Molly Bar sprang back up, only to be squashed again quickly. And then at the turn of the century, once again, Molly Houses came back into popular culture for about 10 years. When, once again, another notorious bar was raided and closed down. The White Swan was similar to Mother Clap's house in some ways. Though it, was, though it certainly did not have the same homey, homey feeling and was based more on profit than love. There was a chapel and even a real priest on hand to marry lovers for a price. Still, for a few years, the fun and gay times of the years past ensued. Then, after only six months of operation, police raided the bar and arrested nearly 30 people. News spread quickly, and by the time and by the time they were on their way to the courthouse, a violent mob had surrounded the carriage. Um, before we finish, this is why we always try to talk about history repeating itself, because we are experiencing right now such a great queer revolution. Um, but... As you see, literally from the 1700s, there's an uprising and then something yeah. comes along and squashes it. There's an uprising and then something comes along and squashes it. And that's why we are such big. Um, we always try to talk about getting your voice out and being heard, because yeah. if you're silent, silence equals death. Yeah. Well, that's why we talk about knowing your queer history, because mm-hmm. if you don't know your history, you're not going to know what signs to look for. You're not going to know how to fight. You're mm-hmm. not going to know what didn't work for us in the past and what is going to work for us again. Like there's so much, but you're right. Like again and again. And I mean, and before this, again, you have the gay baths houses, which have been in every culture mm-hmm. forever. So literally going back to like the Greeks and Romans. Yes, exactly. That's where the gay bath houses mm-hmm. originated. And before then there were, there were queer gatherings then. So again and again, it's like, it's popular and okay for 20, 30 years. And then, it's not okay, and everything right. gets shut down, and then you have nothing for years. You have 50 to live in years. fear for, exactly. for 50 years, exactly. And then just when you think it's making a resurgence, like the white swan came on the end of this resurgence where it was like uh, for about 10 years the Molly houses are gaining in popularity. Seems like authorities are turning a blind eye again. People are becoming more acceptance. They've just had 
Um, the uh, there's a big revolution sweeping Europe. The French Revolution had just happened. America had brought, broken free of the mm-hmm. British, and this entire um, idea of the rights of man is is going all across Europe. And so people are like, "See, we can express ourselves. We can be okay." The white Swan opens up, and within six months, it closes down. Mm-hmm. Now, on the, so on the way to the courthouse, there's already a huge mob of angry women, uh, angry people, which I didn't put in here. Most of them were women, and mm-hmm. this is when I was talking about at the beginning of episode where they've they've taught women. See, what these men are doing is really an affront to you. Yeah, you know. So two of the men arrested were put to death. Several others were ordered to the pillories. Once the men were put in the stocks, the mob once again formed and began to pelt them with rocks, meat, rotten food, and anything else they could grab. One man was beaten until he was unconscious. A society so fluid and free now was steeped in over 200 years of religiously motivated hate. That hate would continue until sodomy was repealed in England in 1976, over 175 years mm-hmm. later. But even with the threat of death, even with the abuse that came our way, the gay bars and its patrons never really went anywhere. Over time, the Molly houses closed and other queer spaces opened. From tea rooms and all-night diners to bathhouses and lounges, we have always found a way to find each other. But we do think the Mollies of the past who kept our traditions and expressions alive. So happy November, everybody. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Didn't mean to end on a bad note, but I do think it was important. Like it's a, it's good and it didn't end well, but then it did end well because look where we are today, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is why it's so important to get your voice heard. This is why it's so important because if people know they have a brother, a sister, a spouse, and not a spouse, I mean, Mm -hmm. I hope you know who spouse is, a brother, a sister, (laughs) a, um, a sibling, a cousin, an uncle, an aunt, if they know somebody in their life who is queer, they're less likely to be filled with hate towards the community. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're not ready to come out, you're not ready to come out. Mm-hmm. But just know that having your voice out there impacts more people than you would than you could imagine. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and as we talked about a little bit last episode, now we're in November, and I know some of you might be dreading the end of the month when there's Thanksgiving either having to go back to your family or not being able to go back to your family. And as we talked about, um, make sure you reach out to us. Um, you can follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. i got to get a little more active on Twitter. But if you don't follow our Twitter page, you can follow me, EBNJ Sandwich. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is a lot more, um, I don't know, I keep that a lot more about fitness. Yeah. But I do post the stuff about our, our um, episodes, and I'm always happy to talk to people. And then um, E B and J Sandwich on Twitter is a lot more um, uh, political and and whatever. But uh, yeah, you can follow us on social media. You can reach out to us mm-hmm. and utilize your gay bars. I mean, yes, that was that was one thing that was really big for me when I first came out. Like at least I could go either to a gay bar, or queer space. I like mm-hmm. to go to Chicago and celebrate there. You know, yeah. um, and find a new family if you have to. Yeah. That's a lot. That's something I find very beneficial for a lot of people. Um, you know, make your own family. You can do it. Family doesn't have to be blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like we we're going to be celebrating. What is it like our Friendsgiving? Fi- yeah, our Friendsgiving. It's like our fifth fifth, fifth annual fifth Friendsgiving. annual Friendsgiving. Um, our little family we made. Yeah, full of misfits and heathens. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. It, you know, we've been getting together for years, and the 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 circle has like changed and expanded over the year. Mm-hmm. But there's five of us that have kind of been the same. Yeah, uh, four of us, and um, 
and yeah, you know, that's our family. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have our other families, you know, but we, that's our, that's our queer family. And that's really important. And I didn't like that when I left, like when I left and people are like, make your own family. I was like, shut up. It's hard to hear. It is hard to hear. Yeah, it is. Because you don't want to think about, you're not replacing the other people. Yeah. You're forming new connections with people who will understand and respect you and build bonds with you that your family might currently not. Maybe exactly. they'll, your, your actual biological family, maybe they'll come around. Yeah. Maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. But it's important to have people that you can talk to. Exactly. So um, check us out. Um, as we said again, you can go to our Patreon. We've got a video on there from last year about dealing with family during the holidays. We've got stuff on our blog. And, and what we're asking people, you know, we are pushing our Patreon a little more right now just because we're trying to, to build up because we want to do a little bit of a travel tour in the summer. And we want to... Yeah, uh, so start thinking. If you want us to come to your your local pride, start thinking about us. Because yeah. I know it might sound like so far away, but really when you come to planning <laughs> trips and yep. getting time organized and things, you need a lot of time. So Booking uh, things. Yeah, so it, it was helpful. And um, even if it's just a dollar a month, this helps. But if you're able to do a couple more dollars, that's really big. It keeps our podcast going, helps us out. And we really appreciate it. We really appreciate the patrons who have been donating to us for a while now. Uh, that has meant so much. And, and honestly, thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and But yeah. Stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And little succulent sapphists. Our proud homocrats. And our... I feel like we've lo- dropped someone off. No, we haven't. Um, the sodomy circus is next. So, I know in not, the sodomy, no. but I just say in all, we've, we've definitely lost some people along the no. way. Whatever. Maybe we have. Sorry. You know what? Have. have yourself a sodomitical uh, circus, you get bunch ready of mollies. to have... A lot of stuffing in you. Yeah, you get stuffed this year. Uh, Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.